Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. Join us as we continue our study through the book of Acts, Luke's account of how the Holy Spirit breathed life into and empowered the early church to fulfill the Great Commission after Jesus' passion. I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again. Very often, God is going to answer prayers you didn't know you were praying for because you sang them. Because we sing things in worship that very often we're not going to pray. And so here's what's going to happen, you all. I'm telling you right now. You're going to face a crossroads this week of a decision you have to make of whether you're going to obey God and listen to God or listen to fear. And you all just sang it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Amen? Amen. So that's what you're going to face. And we live in a world, whether it's the news or other things, are constantly pumping in what you should be afraid of and who you should be afraid of. And it's constantly anxiety and fear that's driving us. And we're going to be faced this week. Matter of fact, even later today, even right now, there's someone here who probably is having to make a decision and fear has gripped you. And so we've sang the song, We're No Longer Slaves to Fear. Amen? Well, um, and the reason why he says is because God the Father, he's our father, he's the perfect parent. He has his arms around us, he cares for us, he meets our needs. And I'll just say this uh, to all the young parents here. We've had tons of babies dedicated lately. There are people here who are women who are pregnant with their first child. I'm gonna warn you now that you are going to mistake, make mistakes as a parent. There's, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Doesn't exist, except for obviously God the Father, like the perfect parent. Uh, many years ago, uh, so those of you who know Robert and Anna Graves, who are part of our church, uh, I've known them indirectly for decades, and it's because I've known their daughter. My wife and I have known their daughter, Anna Graves. She was doing campus ministry with InterVarsity at the University of Texas, San Antonio, and I was a college young adults pastor at a church in San Antonio, also working with College Young Life, and so she asked us to partner with her in this big outreach they're doing on the college campus, and so they were working with crew and uh, fellows through Christian athletes and with Young Life as well. We had this big outreach on the campus and they were using human trafficking as kind of the way to begin talking to students and professors about the gospel. And so they were talking about the fact that there are more slaves currently in the world today than ever in human history. They're bringing about all the stats and figures. And on the final night, they had all these students come to this big game show is what they call it. They're gonna make it a really fun way to share about human trafficking and then share the gospel, how the gospel liberates us, frees us. And so they said, hey, we're inviting you and your students to come. I don't remember all that was going on, but I remember I took my daughter with me. At the time, she was like nine or 10 years old. And I told my wife, hey, we're going to this campus outreach thing. And she said, great. So I went to this campus outreach. And again, it's this big game show. There's about 150, 200 students there. And we're sitting there and I'm seeing all these, like they have a wheel of fortune kind of wheel and all these things. And I'm like, all right, this is gonna be cool. Nine, 10 year old daughter. She gets to hang out on campus with her daddy doing college ministry. And then Anna Grace comes up and says, hey, welcome everyone. Before we get into the game show and all this, we're gonna have a, a, sheriff, a deputy sheriff from the sheriff's department who's over human trafficking come and share a little bit about human trafficking. So just pay attention. He's gonna come and share a little bit. So this guy comes, and he's the stereotypical sheriff's deputy. He's got the hat on. He's got the uniform, the badge. He walks up there, no smile on his face. I mean, the typical, like, license of registration kind of cop guy. Like, he comes on, and he says this. Again, I'm here with my daughter, 9, 10 years old. He says, picture this. You're an 11-year-old girl. You've just been kidnapped by some people. You've been brought to this strange house. They've drugged you, and they're going to force you to sleep with some strange men. You can hear the cries of other girls in the house crying for help, and there's nothing you can do. And I'm like, I think we need to go now. Like, okay. Right? And so then we get in the car, and I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry about that. I didn't know there was going to get that graphic and stuff. And I said, but one thing, please, don't tell mom. And she's like, okay, okay. So we get home, and Tara's like, oh, you guys are home early? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, uh, just home early, you know? So we, like, do our usual thing, do our little, th you know, what are you thankful for? We get them ready for bed, pray, and then they're in bed. And then I see some people judging me already, all right? <laughs> I can feel the judgment. Thanks, Halls. I appreciate that. So then, uh, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know, we're in bed and our daughter comes to our bedroom and she's in tears and she said, I just had a nightmare. And then my wife's like, what was, it? What was the nightmare? She's like, I had a nightmare, I got kidnapped. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, 
uh, so I'm like, let's pray. We pray with her, put her back to bed. And then I think the next morning, Maya's like, where is she getting an idea about being kidnapped, right? And I'm like, uh, we went to this thing about human trafficking, and it got pretty graphic. And she's like, you, there's a Greek word in the Bible, idiotas. She's like, you idiot. Like, what are you doing bringing our daughter to a thing on human trafficking? And I'm like, but it was going to be a game show. And there's like college students, like game show and college students. That's usually something fun, right? She's like, no, like you don't bring kids to stuff like that. Well, here's the thing. The good thing, honey, it came out of it. Both our girls are like aware about human trafficking. And I remember our younger daughter one day was walking during a volleyball tournament. They were in Dallas. They were going from the hotel to the restaurant. And there's all these like sketchy dudes like hanging out. And they're walking back to the hotel. And one guy's like to my daughter's teammate and friend, hey, you're looking good. She's like, oh, thank you. And then Grace was like, don't even give him attention. Like he's probably a trafficker. He's going to kidnap you. And he's going to send you like, you know. So, so, you know, at least they're aware of that, right? But what I want to do today is not tell you about my parenting woes and all that. Um, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Tomorrow is MLK Day, in which we honor Dr. King, and he talked about freedom from oppression. And so today is what we call Freedom Sunday. We want to bring awareness about human trafficking, but also ultimately the freedom that Jesus Christ brings in the gospel. So if you have Bibles, look at Acts 16 with me. Acts 16. There's a lot of Bible to cover here, and we've only got like 30 minutes to do it, so I will be expedient as possible. Let me give you some foundational verses too, so turn to Acts chapter 16, but also write down maybe in your margins or your notes or in your phone, Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 talk about the fact that we, before Christ, we were slaves to sin. Joel did a great job reading Romans chapter 6, 15 through 23. That talks about the same thing, that we were once slaves to sin. So we were slaves to sin. 2 Timothy 2, 26. And Hebrews 2 would also indicate that we we're also slaves to Satan. We didn't know it. We weren't like intentionally, hopefully not listening to his voice and doing what he says. But we were slaves to sin and to the enemy. But look at verse 1 now of Acts 16. Now, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Uh, you can read more about this in 2 Timothy 1.5. He had a mom who was a believer, a grandmother who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Uh, so there the text indicates, I think, the Greek word there was that he's now probably deceased, that his father's no longer alive. And so he's got a Christian mom and a Christian grandmother. And he was well-spoken by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. So here's this man, Timothy, who's half Jewish and half Greek. He's very well-spoken of. He has high character. Again, he has a godly mother, godly grandmother, but looks like no father in the picture. And that's why in 2 Timothy, Paul says, hey, he's my spiritual son. He's, he's my like adopted spiritual son. I'm going to be the Christian man in his life. And he takes him in verse 3. Paul wanted this man to leave with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now here's the thing that seems to contradict itself, because last week, if you were here, this was the issue, that in order for you to be a believer, a Christian, you had to be circumcised, and you had to obey the Mosaic law, and they decided you do not have to be circumcised, you do not have to obey the Mosaic law, but here, Paul says, Timothy got circumcised, because you remember the Jerusalem council said four things. Don't eat meat uh, sacrificed to idols. Don't eat meat that's been strangled. Don't eat blood. And he said, avoid sexual immorality. Don't be sexually immoral. He said, those things you do not to be saved. This is not a salvation issue. This is a fellowship, a harmony issue, so that you can be in good relationships with Jewish believers and not ruin your witness to other people. He said, those things we're asking you to do. And they all agreed unanimously, that's what we're going to do. But here, Timothy, half Jewish, half Greek, gets circumcised. And the question is, why? I thought you didn't have to be circumcised to be saved. And the reason why is because Paul being a Jew, Silas being a Jew, as they're out evangelizing, sharing the gospel with Jews, they're going to look at Timothy, half Jewish, half Greek, and if he's uncircumcised, that's going to shut things down because they could not be with somebody like that. And so, in order to have this witness to the Jews, Timothy willingly, voluntarily gets circumcised. I've got a good friend of mine who's a Christian comedian, and he says, y'all just read the Bible, like just to read the Bible, study, learn, and grow, which is great, but he said, I read it as a comedian, and so 
I read this too. Like all these like circumcision verses like trip me out, right? Like how do you know? That's my only question. I'll leave it there, right? <laughs> so he gets circumcised. So they can have a witness to the Jews because there's this guy who's half Jewish, half Gentile. He's saying, no, I want a witness to the Jews. Verse four, now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Going back to Acts 15, he says again, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, strangled food or strangled animals, blood, sexual immorality. He says, but you don't need to obey the law. You don't need to be circumcised. They deliver that. Verse five, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Verse six, they passed through Phrygian and Galatia, the Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So this is a second missionary journey on. They left Antioch, they're going northwest. And as they're there, they want to go further north into what we know as Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. But here the verse six says, after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And this is why, y'all, God doesn't love Asian people. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Abe's like, what? Are you kidding me? Aren't you Asian? I am Asian. No, I I kid. They had gone to Asia Minor, and this is Asia Minor, Turkey. They had gone in the first missionary journey. Later on, they'll go back to Ephesus as well. Has nothing to do with that. Even in um, verse 7, and after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So this is a, a thing of Paul. Paul had a strategy. We're going to go on a missionary journey because God has called us. We're going to go into these areas. And typically, they go to the areas with Jews. They would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and proclaim Jesus is the Messiah. And they wanted to go north. And we don't know how. Was it a dream or a vision or circumstances? But they were not allowed to go north. And so what happened? They kept going west into what we would call modern-day Greece and Macedonia. And again, it has nothing to do with God loving Asians and not loving Asians and Europeans and all that. Nothing to do with that. God says, you know what? I'm closing this door. And it's the Holy Spirit, later on called the Spirit of Christ. Referring back to Acts 1.8, it's a spirit who's doing this work in you. It's the acts of the spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ. We're witnesses of Jesus. And here's what we can thank God for. I'm old enough now. How many of y'all are old enough now to look back on life and see doors that God closed? And you say, thank you, Jesus. Can y'all see that now? Relationships that he shut down that you're like, oh, I love him though, I love her though. And then now you're looking back saying, ooh, train wreck, right? (laughs) My my punchline time is on point today. Man, thank you. There's this uh, church I used to preach at all the time, Denley Drive Missionary Baptist Church in Dallas, uh, traditional, very, uh, traditional black Baptist church. And there was a deacon there, and he would regularly, this is back when, for those of you who are young enough, uh, old enough remember, Master P was in stuff. Ah! And he'd literally be in the front row, and I'd preach like, Jesus is the Savior of all. He's like, ah! <laughs> He's going to be a deacon one day. I know that. He's going to sit in the front row and help me preach. So... God shut that door. We don't know why, but he wanted them to keep going west. In verse 8, in passing Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, again, modern-day Greek, was standing and pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, and notice this, underline this, we. This is the first section here where it goes from being they and he to now we. Because Luke is now on this journey with them. Some people even believe the man that appeared in the vision could have been Luke. I don't think it was. But now Luke is with them. We immediately sought to leave for Macedonia and conclude that God had called us, so there's now we and us, to preach the gospel to them. So they're probably wondering, God, why did you close down going north into Asia Minor? Why did you close down, keep going north? Why are we going west? They have a vision. They see a man come to Macedonia, and they say, that's where we got to go. God is leading us there. Verse 11. So after setting self from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. Pause right there. So they took what's known as the Ignatian Highway, which was a major thoroughfare that connected the Adriatic Sea and the Aegean Sea. And the reason is, I would say this, that in Galatians 4.4, 4, it says that Jesus Christ came at the like opportune or perfect time. 
Why do we say that? Is because at this point, the Roman Empire has created these network of highways that connect the world, that Koine Greek is a modern, a common language of the day. And so now for evangelists and missionaries and you and I to go out, there's highways that take them there to different cities, to city centers. There's a common language. And so that's why I believe they're on the Signation Highway and now they're in Philippi. End of verse 12. And we were spending some days in the city. The question is, why didn't they get to work immediately? Why do they travel and they're spending some days in the city? Is because, again, Paul's pattern is this. He goes to a city. He finds the synagogue. He goes to the synagogue because they already have an understanding of what we know as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And so when he uses the Hebrew Scriptures to say, Jesus is the Christ, put your faith in him, they have a background already. So they spend a few days there checking out Philippi. And this is what they find. There is no synagogue there. In order to have a synagogue, you had to have at least... 10 Jewish men. It's known as a minion. So next time you watch the movie and think of minions, they had to have 10 Jewish men. There were not 10 Jewish men in the city committed to have a synagogue. But this is what they find in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside. So they found this river, uh, this van down by the river where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled so on this Sabbath day, when normally they would go to synagogue, there's nobody there. And so instead, they hear about this place of prayer, prosuko. They find a place of prayer, and it's down by the river, and it's all women. Why is that? Why is it by the river? It's because that in the Jewish ceremonies, they would have often washings and cleansing and baptisms. So they had to have it down by the river. And that's where Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke go. Notice this in verse 14. A woman named Lydia was listening. She was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. So here's the thing we know about Lydia. Lydia most likely is a very wealthy businesswoman. She's a seller of purple fabrics. Back then, there was a uh, snail called a musex snail, I believe, and you grind up its shells and make this purple dye, and only the wealthy of wealthy could afford it. So she was trading in purple cloths. Earlier in the uh, nine o'clock service, I called her Vera Wang. She was a, uh, a fashion designer, very wealthy. She probably drove an Audi RS6 Avant, probably. You know, she had the top of the line European SUV. She had a six bedroom, seven bedroom house, four bathrooms and memorials. She had a large yard and a pool. She was an entertainer. She was a very wealthy woman. Later on, it says that she even had servants as well. So she was a very wealthy woman. Perhaps she thought she could find purpose and freedom and all that in wealth and acquiring things, and yet she couldn't find it. And here, she hears about Jesus Christ. And notice this. She's also a worshiper of God. We don't know if she's a Jewish proselyte or a God-fearer, but she had heard about the God of Israel, and she was seeking him. And notice what happens at the end of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Greek tense there would say it wasn't passively like she allowed to be opened. No, the verse literally says God did it. God opened her heart. God opened her heart. Here's a parallel verse I didn't mention a few weeks ago. Acts 13, 48. Acts 13, 48 says, to all those who were appointed by God, they believed. When we come to accept and listen to and trust Jesus, it's a work of God. God opened her heart. And so don't pat yourself on the back saying, I saved myself, I was such a good person, God had to save me. That's why we take communion, to remember it's a grace gift. It's a gift that God gave you. So here, we find that she responds to the things spoken by Paul. Verse 15, now when she and her household had been baptized, so she had placed her faith in Christ, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So she exercises this gift of hospitality. She opens her home to these traveling evangelists, these missionaries. Again, probably a very large home. And it says here that she believed, her household believed, and because of that, they got baptized. But notice this. Here's something that changes now, shift. We find this very wealthy woman. Again, imagine Vera Wang. Wealth, opulence, respect in the community. Large house, servants, employees, staff. Paul did not tell her, stop doing what you're doing and come join us on this missionary journey. You notice that? Because there are people that she's gonna reach as a merchant, as a businesswoman, 
People in Philippi, later on we'll find that there's a church meeting in her house. Her house is so large, there's not a community group, but it's a gathering that meets in her house. And God needs people like that as well. So if you say, I mean, I feel bad because I'm a businessman or businesswoman and I, I'm not doing like frontline ministry like missionaries and others, like God needs you as well. And God needs you to be a witness where you are, but also to be generous in your giving if God has given you that. Many years ago, I was meeting with a guy. He said, Icky, I don't know. I know this is not a spiritual gift, but if it was, I've got the spiritual gift of making money. He's a very wise, prudent businessman. He was one of the first black executives at a very large hotel chain that if I told you here of that you would know. He said, I got the spiritual gift if there is such a thing of making money. I don't know what it is. I just make money. But I also know God has given me this gift not just to make money for me and my family, but to be very generous in my giving. So he said, hey, how are some ways that I can give? And he said, especially because I know we were friends through seminary. He says, I know how hard it was for you for to be a married husband and have a kid while going through seminary. So he said, you know what I'd like to do? I like to set up like an endowment where we have men who say, you know what, or women who feel called to ministry full-time, who want to come to seminary but are working full-time with a family who can't work full-time and go to school full-time. I want to start a scholarship like that. So we need people like that who say, hey, you know what, I may not be front lines of evangelism in parts of the world, but God's given me the gift of making money. And I want to be able to bless others to do that work and to keep the ministry of Bayou City going, that we can make disciples all around Greater Houston, around the world. And that's what happens here. Lydia keeps doing what she's doing. But notice this contrast in verse 16. It happened that as we were going place to, uh, to the place of prayer, again, down by the river, this van down by the river, and this is a bad translation here, a slave woman. It should be a slave girl, a young girl. She's a young girl who had a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune telling. Here is a slave. She's been bought and sold. She's bringing her master's great profit by fortune telling. The Greek here literally, spirit of divination, is pneuma pythona. Pneuma pythona. What English word does pythona sound like? Aggies, right? Exactly. Snakes in the grass. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. In three weeks, I'll wear an A&M shirt just to appease y'all. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get it back. Where does that come from? In Greek mythology, if you heard the oracles of Delphi, right? There were priestesses that would meet with the gods and get the future told to them. And on this mountain where they would meet with God, there was a dragon that guarded this mountain. And the name of the dragon was what? Pythona. We get the English word python from it. It's a snake. What happens? Apollos kills pythona. But from then on, there are these priestesses who have this demonic snake or this pythona spirit, basically. And so she has this, and she's a fortune teller. So again, the readers who were Gentiles would understand this. They would say, oh, she's one of those. And they were not just in this one area. They were all around the Roman Empire. There would be these fortune tellers who would, people would go to and say, hey, I just broke up, or I'm looking for this job. Can you tell me, what do the gods say about my future? And so she's telling people the future and making a lot of money for her masters. But notice what happens in verse 17. She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now, why does she do that? If she has this python spirit, this demonic spirit, this demon. She's telling fortune, making lots of money for her masters. Why is she saying about Paul and Silas and the others, Luke and Timothy, like these men, and they would understand, Jews and Gentiles, these men are from the most high God. In those days, they would probably say like Zeus, the, the top one. He, they're from him, and they're proclaiming to you not the way of salvation, that's where she gets it wrong, a way of salvation. is because she's trying to hitch her wagon to theirs. Because she is illegitimate. She operates in the demonic realm. She's trying to say, you know what? I'm with them. These guys are apostles sent from God and I'm with them. She's trying to validate and legitimatize what she's doing by latching on to them. That's what she's trying to do, I believe. Either that or embarrass them. And so that's what she's trying to do. And, and, and notice this. If you have studied cults, cults that name Jesus, cults that use the Bible they latch on just enough with legitimate Jesus. They latch on just enough with Jesus and the Bible to make it seem like they're legitimate. Amen? Amen. 
Because they know in and of themselves, they said, yeah, I had a dream and this angel appeared to me and said, this is all wrong, this is what's going on. They'd be like, pah, phooey. But then they'd say, oh, but, but I also use the Bible. Oh, the Bible. Oh, you're a church of Jesus. Oh, okay. But notice what happens. Verse 19. Now she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Underline that, Jesus Christ by the authority of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out of her that very moment. So she can't tell the future anymore. She's not influenced by demons anymore. There's no mention of her ever again. We don't know if she joined the church at Philippi, if she walked as a believer, we don't know. But that moment she was delivered, she was set free in the name by the authority of Jesus Christ. So here we find Lydia who perhaps for her lifetime, like many of you all have been searching for freedom, for purpose, in money, in success, in large homes. And she couldn't find it, but she found it, her and her whole household in Jesus Christ. And we find this unnamed slave girl created in the image of God who's now been set free as well in the name of Jesus. Here's point number one. Jesus brings freedom to the captives. Jesus brings freedom to the captives. Jesus brings freedom to the captives. It's estimated today around the world there's anywhere from 21 million to 30 million slaves, forced labor, bought and sold, men and women, boys and girls created in the image of God who are being bought and sold and used. 21 to 30 million. The, the estimate I saw last was 25 million. To put that in perspective, the population of Australia is 25 million. So imagine if the whole nation, the whole country of Australia was put into subjugation into slavery. More than any other time in history. Of that, 80% are in what we call forced labor, construction, manufacturing, building. And the other 20% are in sexual slavery, the sex industry, sex workers. Bought and sold, men and women loved by God, boys and girls. They estimate that they make this 25 million people enslaved $150 billion in profit for their owners. And here's the twisted thing. Of the $150 billion, 99 billion, almost $100 billion is generated. Two-thirds of it is generated by the sex industry. And so here's some things that we can do to fight that. One thing is this, uh, right after this, outside these doors, in the info crate, we've got Freedom Church Alliance. They're here today. One of our members, Allison Sims, will be out there. She works for them. We just had a concert here on Tuesday night to bring awareness. And January, again, is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So she'll be out there to answer any questions you have if you want to get involved. Uh, one thing that I personally do, and I'm so thankful that I've been a part of Freedom Church Alliance since day one at the church I pastored and now here at Bayou City Fellowship, is to pray. And I remember hearing about this, that when you see massage parlors, not the legitimate ones, but the ones you see about like Thai massage or Asian massage, she said very often those are basically brothels. And so when I drive by those and adult bookstores, and I don't like this word, but gentlemen's clubs, I pray, Lord, shut those places down. Shut them down. Shut those dens of evil down and everything associated with it. But another thing you can do is this. Uh, Freedom Church Alliance has these go bags that they give to law enforcement. So when women and young girls and boys are arrested for prostitution, they have a bag. And inside you can donate these items, uh, travel size hygiene, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, shampoo and soap, some clothing like yoga pants, a basic t-shirt, sweatshirt, sports bra, underwear, socks, flip-flops, and a gift card to a fast food restaurant. So that when they are arrested, they're not treated as criminals, but as victims, that they can get a, a, a new start. And I know these ministries like Freedom Church Alliance, it is not just about physically delivering them, but also sharing the good news of Christ because again, we find our hope and deliverance in Jesus. So I wanna bring awareness about that to you. But notice what happens. And this is what I remember hearing about in Freedom Church Alliance. This is dangerous work. Verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was suddenly gone, 
They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men, Jews as they are, and Paul and Silas are Jews, are causing our city trouble. And they're proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us except or to practice since we are Romans. And the joke's about to be on them because Paul and Silas are actually Romans as well. Verse 22, the crowd joined an attack against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, he having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here's point number two, bringing freedom may cost you your freedom. I'm talking to people who are battling human trafficking here in greater Houston around the world. They often just don't go as renegades and say, hey, shut this brothel down, shut this down. They go with law enforcement because they know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that Satan has a hold, that he doesn't want to let go of those who are slaves to him. And so they go in with law enforcement. And the same is true about the gospel. I've always mentioned this. Preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, making disciples of spiritual warfare. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of darkness is trying to hold on to as many people as possible. And so because of that, I'm thankful that here in America we get to enjoy religious liberty, preach and proclaim the gospel freely. But we know we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison right now, who've been martyred because of their faith. More Christians have given their lives in the last 100 years and the previous 1,900 years, martyrs for Jesus Christ. And so bringing freedom to others, proclaiming freedom to others may cost you your freedom. Paul and Silas are placed in prison. They're chained, verse 24, fasten their feet in the stocks. Now what a contrast. They bring freedom to this young girl. They bring freedom to Lydia. And these men, these owners, these masters, these slave owners and traders, they can't say, man, they messed up my money. You don't mess with my money. They say, hey, these Jews are bringing these customs that are foreign to us. They're trying to turn this society upside down. Nothing about, again, we are treating people, creating the image of God as commodities. And I hear this often about the Bible promoting slavery. The Bible doesn't promote slavery. The Bible doesn't promote divorce. It comes in a culture that had slavery. It comes in a culture that had divorce. It allows for it, but it doesn't promote it. And here we see again, Paul and Silas placed in prison for setting this young girl free. But look at the response. Look at the response. And I pray this is our response. Verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were writing letters to their congressmen showing that they were wrongly imprisoned. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Friends, I'm here to say today that again, we planned this act series months ago. The fact that here we are on this Freedom Sunday, MLK tomorrow, and tonight we're gonna worship and pray together as one church at our Cyprus location. So perhaps you're here today, maybe you're not in physical stocks bound by anything. But maybe there's something else that's binding you, holding you captive, that you say, I need deliverance from, I need freedom from. Fear, lust. Paul and Peter both say, hey, the things that Jesus set you free from, why do you put yourselves back in slavery to those things again? Those things that wage war in your soul. And so here's a great opportunity tonight to, to worship God as one church and to pray, just like Paul and Silas at the midnight hour. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great seismos, this is the Greek, we get the word seismic from, earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, immediately all the doors were open, everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Why does he do that? Is because earlier we find the magistrate say to this warden, and he's most likely a former Roman soldier in the Roman army. He knows all about authority and chains of authority and taking orders. And so he's taken this order, guard these two men, Paul and Silas, don't let them escape. What happens? They have all the walls and chains are open because of this earthquake. 
And because he's not done his duty, derelict of duty, he's going to end his life. Because he knows because of that, either he will be killed or he will go to prison. So rather than face the shame of that, he's about to end his life. But Paul says, hey, 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 we're still here. We haven't left. We're still here. Don't do that. Verse 29, and the jailer asked for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, we don't know if he's talking about this. He may be talking about, I've messed up. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. You've messed up, right? And I know I'm about to be executed before derelict of duty or I may face prison time myself. So what do I have to do to get myself out of this mess, this jam? And some of you all know you've been there. You have hit rock bottom in your life because of your own choices. Work, drugs, alcohol, relationships, selfishness, burning bridges. And you've hit rock bottom and you can only look up. And you say to your friends and to God, what do I need to do to get myself out of this mess? So some people believe that's what he's saying. What do I need to do to get saved from this mess I'm in? Others believe that he has heard Paul and Silas singing and praising and praying and he's heard the gospel. He says, now what do I need to do to know the Jesus that you all know? We don't know which one of those it is, but if it's the first, Paul uses it as an opportune time. You've hit rock bottom. You're in the middle class, Lydia upper class, slave girl lower class. Here you are in the comfortable middle class. You've got a comfy job. And now you're about to lose it. And he says, the hope and the freedom you're looking for is not found in a job or in security from a job. It's found in Jesus Christ. So he finds his opportune time. And friends, I'll tell you this. The reason why we should love our neighbor is because God has put you there to love your neighbor both at work or in school or wherever you are in your community, so that when they hit rock bottom and they're in a mess, in a jam, in a pickle, and they're like, what must I do to get out of this mess? What did you do, Brando? You say, Jesus. That's all I got, Jesus. And that's what happens. He says, verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you not might be saved, you will be saved. That's the only condition, faith in Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You and your whole household. There's a pattern here. Lydia, saved, household, deliverance. Now, the jailer, uh, 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 saved, household. And we're gonna see Paul and Silas's deliverance. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all those who were in his house. So the whole house, kids and others, hear the good news. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. Now picture this, picture this. They've been beaten with rods. They're bloodied and bruised in chains. They've been set free. What does the jailer do? This is the warden, y'all. This is a prison warden. He washes them, cleans them up. But then look at what Paul and Silas do. And immediately he was baptized and he and all his household. So here's the washing of wounds. And then there's this picture of now identifying with Jesus and now being washed from your sins. Because this is what the gospel does, you all. The gospel changes us spiritually, transforms us spiritually, gives us freedom spiritually, but it also now changes us socially. It changes our relationships. Uh, maybe one or two amens on that. <laughs> That's why Paul writes to Philemon, a slave owner. And he says, your former slave, Onesimus, who ran away, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He's now a valuable part of my team. He said, I'm sending him back to you. And he says, now you know this, Philemon. The gospel changes socially, the relationships now. He's now your brother in Christ. And I told you many times before, the church I came from, we had an elder, Carol Vance. He was a Harris County district attorney through many men and women in prison. But he also began a prison ministry. And so it brought me great joy to see him in prison, sitting next to men and women that he had sent to prison. But now because they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they were now brothers and sisters in Christ. 
When they were released, they would come to our church. And often I'd see Carol and Carol Vance raising their hands in praise and worship. And there next to them were men and women who were formerly incarcerated. Some that he had actually sent to prison, indicted. Who are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Because again, the gospel frees us, delivers us from the bondage of sin and the enemy. But it also now transforms us socially. That's what goes on here. He was baptized. And notice this, he brought them into his house, and that word house and household keeps getting reported, repeated, it's the word oikos, like the yogurt you buy in the store, and set food before them and was overjoyed since he had become a believer in God together with his whole household. So inmates in his prison who are now brothers in Christ, washes their wounds before Christ, watch them, don't let them escape. Now, Come to my house, enjoy dinner with my family. That's what the gospel does. Notice this. Now, when the day came, the chief magistrates, the political leaders, sent their officers saying, and these are the police officers, saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent word that you be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, after beating us in public without due process, men who are Romans, he said, I got the Roman passport. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Jew, but I'm a Roman citizen. They threw us into prison, and now they're releasing us secretly? So he says, these political leaders, listening to these slave masters and to the crowd, tore their robes, beat us in public without due process, and we're Roman citizens. They're breaking their own law. They do this publicly. And now they're trying to sweep this under the rug and make this go away privately. And Paul says, "Uh -uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. No, indeed. And of course, that was like 2,000 years ago. Now our public officials today and politicians would never do anything like that. They blow it in public and they do public things. They don't sweep it under the rug, right? So this is something that happened in the Bible times. And Paul says, no, 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 not going to happen. On the contrary, let them come in person and lead us out. The officers reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they became fearful when they heard that they were Romans. Y'all done broke your own laws. And they came and pleaded with them, and when they had led them out, they repeatedly asked them to leave the city. Why? Because again, if they found out that they had beaten and imprisoned Roman citizens without cause, they were in trouble. They were going to be held accountable. They're like, uh, be on your way, leave. You're free now. Verse 40. They left the prison to enter the house of Lydia. Remember her, the wealthy woman who came to faith. This Gentile woman, a God-fearer. When they saw the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and departed. Notice at this point now there are brothers in this church. Initially it was probably all women But now there are brothers. They have now reached their merchants and friends. And now there's a church, a worship gathering in Lydia's house. And they departed. Here's point number three. The same as point number one. Jesus brings freedom to the captives. Jesus brings freedom to the captives. I forgot to mention this uh, earlier. In um, Timothy getting circumcised. Timothy getting circumcised. Again, he didn't have to. But it's 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. And that's the part when Paul says, I became all things to all people, I might win some. He said, to the Jews, I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. So it's this, what I call using culture as a bridge to share the gospel. Make sure there's nothing offensive culturally so that you have inroads to share the gospel. But Jesus brings freedom to the captives. So here's the thing, if you're here today and you have yet to put your faith in Christ, you've been searching for freedom to live how God made you, how God called you. You've been searching for it in a new job, in a relationship. If I can just get a better job, make a little bit more money, just get that nicer house, then I'll have that freedom. Freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. Lydia will testify to you on that. The Philippian jailer says, you can't find it in your career. Only Jesus will provide that. But if you're here today, and you are a 
believer, you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets you free. You have been free, like we looked at last week, not free to do what you want to do. Liberty meaning, I'll do what I want to do. You now have the freedom to do what God has called you to do. You have been set free. You used to be a slave to sin. Whatever sin told you to do, you did. But now he has released us, Romans 6, 15 to 23, from both the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. When you face sin and temptation, you can say, nope, not gonna do it. He sets you free. You've been delivered. And so the charge is this, walk in that freedom. Why do you continue to walk in bondage and slavery to what Christ has set you free from? I heard this story, um, this is about two decades ago. An inmate in a prison in Germany was released. He was released from prison. Less than a week later, picture this, y'all. This man who had been incarcerated in prison for many years, set free to now live in freedom. He broke back into the prison to bring back a pack of cigarettes to his buddies and enjoy life back in prison again. And we say, how foolish is that? And yet, as believers, Jesus Christ has set us free. And what do we do? We break right back into the prison of bondage again, even though he set us free. So here's a big idea for today. Romans 8.34 says, whoever you obey, you're a slave to those you obey. If you obey sin and you practice sin, it's because you're a slave to sin. But then John 8.36 says this, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Some translations say this, Rather than saying, indeed, it says, for real. You have been set free for real. You thought you had freedom because now you are no longer living with your parents. You thought you had freedom because you graduated from college. You thought you had freedom because you paid that college debt off finally. He says, you thought you had freedom, but that wasn't freedom for real. Only Jesus Christ offers freedom for real. He has set you free. And friends, we're ambassadors, we're messengers of freedom. The good news of the gospel is this. To our coworkers and friends and neighbors, anyone here today, Jesus Christ can set you free. Um, I had the amazing privilege of having an amazing roommate. We got married about a week apart. And when we lived in our little apartment together, he was the director of our prison ministry at our church at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. And regularly, what would happen is this. We'd have worship services on Sunday for the men's prison and women's prison at Dawson State Prison. On Wednesday nights, we'd have Bible study, basically another worship gathering on, for men and women. So we'd gather four times. And all the interns and associate ministers were required monthly to go and preach at either the men's prison, women's prison, on Sunday or on Wednesday. But regularly, on Tuesday night or on Saturday night, Eric would get a call. And the guys say, oh, man, I got laryngitis. I can't preach tomorrow. Or, you know, I got too much homework for seminary. I'm, I'm like way behind on papers. I can't do it tomorrow. And so inevitably, he would knock on my door. Hey, man, uh, can, can you preach tomorrow? And so being a young seminarian, like you don't get asked to preach a whole lot at churches. And so I remember cutting my teeth, preaching almost like every week at either Wednesday night prayer service or on Sunday mornings. And so by God's grace, over the last 25 some odd years, I've preached to thousands of inmates across Texas in, in prisons and jails. And I've seen hundreds, again, by God's grace, nothing of me, men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ and be set free. Amen. Now, here's what I notice as I talk to these men and women who have trusted Jesus Christ. They are told every morning what time to wake up. They're told when to eat breakfast, when to eat lunch, when to eat dinner. They're told when to shower, when to clean up. Every moment of their lives is controlled. In that respect, they enjoy very little freedom. They're told when to go to class, when to go to chapel, when to wake up. But here's what I noticed. As I sat with our brothers and sisters in Christ who were incarcerated, they enjoy greater freedom because of Jesus Christ than many people who are on the outside living totally free. Because Jesus Christ sets the captives free. You can be on the outside, on the other side of the barbed wire fence, and still be enslaved and captive. And so our brothers and sisters in Christ who are told when to wake up, when to go to bed, 
when to brush their teeth, enjoy greater freedom than so many of us. Let's pray. Master, on this uh, Freedom Sunday in which we bring awareness about human trafficking, God, we're so grateful that we were once slaves to sin and you have set us free in Jesus Christ. We're no longer slaves to the enemy, slaves to fear, slaves to temptation, slaves to insecurity, slaves to anxiety. You set us free. And it's not because of anything that we have or offer. It's because we're now part of the family of God. We've been adopted. The Father's arms are around us. You care for us. And we are now able to do your will, to do your work. We can say yes to you and no to sin. We can say yes to obedience and no to disobedience. So God, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would walk in that freedom, as it says in Galatians, that they would experience Jesus Christ, whom the Son sets free, is free for real, indeed. And God, I pray for all those who are here today who have yet to put their faith in Christ. Perhaps they've been looking for freedom, for deliverance. Perhaps they're flat on their back, but seeking it in work, in pleasure, in all the things that this world offers and have not found it, that today will be the day they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone as their way to salvation and freedom. And we ask it all in his name and all God's people said, amen. Again, remember, we're ambassadors of freedom. Proclaim the good news of Christ. Uh, I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come up my left and right. There's something that we can pray for if you are, feel like you're in bondage to a particular temptation or struggle. If you're here today and you've yet to put your faith in Christ, they're available to pray with you and for you. Also on the app as well, we pray every Thursday morning. We'd love to pray with you so you can also submit your progress on the app as well. This is your time to respond. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch app to find community in the body of Christ.